I was on holidays with my wife and we're walking along the beach and I just said to her, I've got to go to the toilet. And she said, we are in the middle of nowhere on this beach. And I said, if I don't find the toilet, there's going to be a mess. And fortunately, there was a toilet and I ran up to that toilet and my whole insides just almost exploded in the toilet bowl. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Today's episode is sponsored by the Valuation Masterclass Online, the complete, proven, step-by-step online course to guide you from novice to valuation expert. Podcast listeners can claim your amazing 35% discount by going to myworstinvestmentever.com slash deals. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here in 2020 with featured guest, Justin Tamset. Justin, are you ready to rock? Rock and roll. Oh, yeah. Well, let me tell the audience about you. Justin has been awarded, is Australia's most, Australia's most awarded fitness business speaker. He is recognized internationally as a thought leader who delivers in a unique style with quality content. He will have you challenge how you do things. And as he believes, we should hashtag think and do different to grow the fitness industry. After 30 years in the amazing fitness industry, he shares practical ideas from inside and outside the industry with a focus on ideas that can be implemented immediately. He has trained in over 400 fitness facilities since 2015. Hey, my goodness, most of us haven't even trained 400 times since 2015. (laughs) (laughs) And he's done it as a casual visitor to get the true consumer experience. Justin has delivered over 353 presentations since 1999. And again, most of us have not even delivered 353 presentations. And he's done it across 21 countries and to over 210,000 and 300 fitness business managers, owners, managers, team members, and entrepreneurs. He is the only speaker to speak 20 consecutive years at Phylex in Australia and for 15 consecutive years at how do I say that one again? Ursa? Got it. That's it, Ursa. I-H-R-S-A in the U.S. of A. The people who attend his sessions help him achieve his why. And ladies and gentlemen, this is important. What is your why? Now I'm going to tell you Justin's why. And that is to have more people move and move more often to reduce the healthcare costs across the globe. And mom, that goes to you too. We all got to be moving. All right, Justin, take a minute and fill in any further tidbits about your life. Well, Andrew, that's a great intro and I'm going to take you on the road with me. We'll head off to a couple more countries. I loved it. Uh, Look, a couple other tidbits I think would be that while I am a business coach and I'm using those inverted commas because who knows what that definition is these days of what a business coach is. I'm also a coach, a sporting coach. And for 10 years, I coached rugby teams. And then I retired from coaching rugby teams. And I coached at a fairly high level here in Sydney, in Australia. I then took on coaching 
my daughter's netball team. So I coached the Beecroft under eights, under nines, under tens, and this year the under 11s netball team. So I am all over netball, which is, of course, is a women's sport played in Commonwealth countries around the world. And I can honestly say I never thought I would be coaching 11-year-old girls how to play netball. I'm sure that gives you some interesting lessons in your life. Look, it certainly does. It teaches me patience. But, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a great experience. And I think when you're a coach, you're a coach. And, and you would know that. It doesn't mm. matter whether you're coaching business or you're coaching kids or you're coaching sporting teams. A coach is a coach and the premise of, premises of coaching is exactly the same. It's interesting. I'd like to dig a little bit deeper into that before we get into the question. And I'm just kind of curious, you know, like in a bigger picture perspective in the world of athletics, I have two questions for you. Why do athletes almost all have coaches? And from a big picture perspective, what does a coach bring ultimately besides, you know, these drills and this and that and whatever? From a big picture perspective, why do most athletes have them and what do coaches bring to these athletes? So the, I would suggest the number one reason, whether it's an athlete or even a business person has a coach, is that that coach sees what's happening from a different perspective. We become quite blind in our own journey. And when someone joins our journey with fresh eyes, it changes the whole viewpoint of that journey and they can add to what we're doing. And the reason why I think coaching is so critical, again, in sport or in business, is that the coach's job is really simple. It's to make sure that the ball goes in the net or the ball goes into the bleachers or whatever the end goal is, or you run the furthest down down the 100-metre track. Now, the coach's job is to watch every step along the way. And they've got to identify where there are bits that we can improve while at the same time high-fiving that athlete to make sure that they feel really positive about themselves. And what we see in athletics and sport that we don't see in business is in sport and athletics, the goalposts are set. They don't move. Whereas in business, what we see is those goalposts are often moved, whether they're a sales target moved or whether it's a, a marketing budget that's changed. And so as a coach, that becomes really bad if you're seeing these changes because your job is if the ball is going in the net is to praise the person and support them and be their cheerleader because they're going to be needing that when times get tough. Mm. If they're missing that goal, then their job is quite simply is to analyze every movement to make sure that we've then got it right so that they are not missing the goals as they move forward. Mm -hmm. And that raises a couple of different questions. The first thing you mentioned was confidence. And mm -hmm. it's a little bit strange thing to think of for the average Joe or the average Andrew out there who have always admired athletes as top of the game. How could an athlete have lacking of confidence? So the best athletes in the world are the athletes that are humble and hungry. Roger Federer 
Rafa Nadal, classic examples of hungry athletes and yet still humble. Even if you kind of look at Tiger Woods and his lifespan, where he lost that hunger and he lost that humbleness to where perhaps now he's got it back. Some of the US basketballers are the same. Mm. I think from an Australian perspective, Ash Barty, the women's number one as we speak, she's an incredibly humble athlete, but hungry for success. And we can learn from them because we need that in business as well. Okay, my last question on this topic, because I find it fascinating and I, I would love to talk more about it. The other question is, okay, I get what you're saying, the value of a different perspective. Somebody to look at it from a bigger picture, somebody to, to look at all the connecting parts and say, here's the weak link we need to work on. But that is one part of it. That is, let's say, a part of awareness. Mm -hmm. But awareness in our life, as we all know, doesn't always get us to the result. It's step one. How else does a coach go from awareness to the goal or getting it in the, in the hoop or in the net or whatever? So they bring a couple of things. One is they bring techniques, but it's also one of the things that coaches do really well is they go back to the basics. And one of the greatest NFL coaches, Vince Lombardi, and every year, he went back to coach his football team. He started every single season the same way. And he picked up the pigskin, the football, and he said to his players, this is a football. And everybody comes and went, yeah, <laughs> no shit. <laughs> but he goes, this is a football and we are going to be the best team in the league at the fundamentals. And so that's what a coach does. The coach drives the accountability around the fundamentals. And I don't care whether it's sport, again, business, or raising a family. When you get the fundamentals right, you win more games than you lose. Fantastic. Okay, that's uh, an extra bonus, ladies and gentlemen, about coaching. In fact, you may think, hmm, this JT guy is pretty interesting. I may need to contact him. Check the show notes, folks. All right. Now, it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Well, I guess my worst ever investment, Andrew, may be a little bit unique, but it's probably something that the majority of your listeners right now are not going to expect. I'm sure listening to your shows, you've had guests mention things like, oh, my worst investment was this marketing thing that I did. I was expecting to get 5,000 leads and I didn't get any. Or my worst investment ever was building a widget for a market and the market didn't need the widget. Or they misread trends or they employed the wrong people. And look, I'm not going to be totally flippant about it because I've made those made. <laughs> I've made many of those mistakes. <laughs> but I've made worse one. than that. <laughs> Look, I'll give you one. I, I established in my business two years ago an online membership portal for gym owners and gym managers around the world. We supplied resources to help them run their businesses better. I made it a price point that I thought was just perfect. It was almost the concept was that they just wouldn't even think about it. They would just join. We probably invested around $50,000 over three years. 
and just did not get an ROI on that because most of the resources we were giving them and asking them to pay for, they could find somewhere online for free. <laughs> so, um, yes, I was heading down the road of frustration, disappointment and bankruptcy. And I think that was a really interesting mistake that I made because um, I was incredibly passionate about this product and I didn't want to admit failure. And it was failing. But that was not my worst investment. Oh, that's just a teaser, huh? That's the teaser. My worst investment cost me 10 years of my life. Okay, so you were in prison. Oh, <laughs> close. Pretty close. <laughs> and most importantly, that my worst investment is going to cost the Australian taxpayer, which I'm internally grateful for, 280000 Australian dollars if I live to 80 years of age. You look pretty healthy to me, Justin. Well, interestingly enough, and many of your, many of your guests, many of your listeners may go through the same sort of phase as I did. I, entrepreneur, always wanted to own my own business, always. You know, I, was, I used to do a, a newspaper run. I used to do a, like a pamphlet or a flyer drop for my mum. I'm a fourth generation entrepreneur and I always wanted to own my own gym because I, I was a phys ed teacher, personal trainer, wanted to be, own my own gym. And I wanted to do that before I was 25 and we opened a gym. I think I was 25 and five months or something. So just kind of missed out on that, that goal, very goal orientated individual. And for me, I loved what I do. I just loved working in a gym. I loved owning a gym. It was amazing. And people would say, you know, oh, you know what? I don't love what I do. I think I should look for another job. And I'm like, yeah, look for another job because I love what I do. And I never considered going to work, work at all. Do you know anyone like that? It's so few, but I would say I feel the exact same way. And because I just loved what I did, I would get there at the crack of dawn and I'd leave after the sun had gone down. Some days I was the first person in the gym and some days I was the last one out. I literally loved what I did and never considered it work. Didn't think I was stressed at all. And in fact, I loved so much what I did, Andrew. I opened a second gym, which was just crazy. That was not my worst investment. <laughs> but what happened was, I guess, running a business and not taking time out for myself was becoming a challenge. I loved what I did. I was still productive and had fresh ideas. But I kind of ate poorly. And because I owned the gym, I didn't really want to work out in my own gym because I'd find all the things that were wrong or I'd be watching the staff or the members would want to talk to me. So I wasn't really looking after myself at all. The irony, you own isn't a gym. It, isn't it ironic that I own a gym, but I don't work out. And yeah, it was, it was a really tough, tough time, both just to keep the business going. But for me, I, I just, it was tough because I, I thought there was something missing, but I didn't know what it was. And I've got to admit, and again, this might, may resonate for some people listening, 
that my ego had got in the way. And my ego was, I didn't want to start working out because I had to start from scratch because I lost all my fitness. And so if I was going to be in my gym with all my members looking at me, I don't want to be the bloke just lifting the bar. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to be the guy that's walking on the treadmill because he can't run anymore. And so I had this, so I was, I was almost in this downward spiral, I guess, of exercise, just like the majority of people out there. Anyway, I am rabbiting on and I'm trying to build the tension. I'm trying to build the anticipation. Our lease came to an end in, in one of our clubs and we decided to sell that club. And when we, just as we were getting to the final two or three months of, of selling that club, I started to get some really bad abdominal pain and I didn't really worry about it. I didn't think it was anything serious. I just kind of didn't worry about it at all. And coming with that abdominal pain was also some fairly unpleasant toilet visits. And again, I I didn't know what was wrong with me. And being a male, I didn't, didn't admit I was thinking I was sick at all. I was just thinking this is just, this is just something passing, surely. Dr. Justin has made his assessment. <laughs> Correct. I didn't need Google in those days. I just went, oh, this will just pass. Hmm. And certainly it, it, it was passing all right. But about two months after we sold the club, I was on holidays with my wife and we're walking along the beach. And I just said to her, I've got to go to the toilet. And she said, we are in the middle of nowhere on this beach. And I said, if I don't find the toilet, there's going to be a mess. And fortunately, there was a toilet and I ran up to that toilet and my whole insides just almost exploded in the toilet bowl. And my wife said to me, that is not normal. You need to go and get yourself checked out. So I came back home from holidays, went to the doctors and I was diagnosed with a chronic illness called ulcerative colitis. And what ulcerative colitis is, is ulcers like you would get in your mouth or abrasions that sit on your colon. So basically, and this is fairly gross, I know for people to hear, but it's important that they hear it, is that every time you go to the toilet, it takes a layer off your colon and so you pass blood. And the goal of the colon physiologically is to take the fluid out and so that allows us to do a solid poo. So not only was I bleeding when I pooed, but it was completely fluid. And every time you go, it's just, it's horrendous. I found out later that they, they actually believe in the 1940s and 50s in Australia, ulcerative colitis is one of the biggest killers of Australians because they would basically bleed to death. They were too embarrassed to talk about this illness or go and see a doctor about it. Mm. And I know when I was at the height of my illness, I was lying on a couch. I was drinking red Powerade. That's all, no food. I probably lost 10, 15 kilos and I was in a really bad way, a really bad way. For around about seven or eight months, I was pretty sick. So my worst investment was not investing in my own body, mm. not investing in my own health and putting my entrepreneurial spirit and what I wanted to achieve in life, in business 
ahead of my own health. And I was working in the health industry. It's ironic, but it's a fact. And I'm on medication for the rest of my life to enable this disease not to continue to inhibit what I do. Mm. And that, that, my friend, is my worst investment. Wow. Well, let's try to summarize what lessons you learned from this. Really? <laughs> Let me tell you the first lesson is that I got put into hospital at one stage and my specialist said to me, this is our last ditch effort to get you fixed. And he said, if this doesn't work, then I'm going to have to pull your colon out and you'll have a colostomy bag for the rest of your life. And he went through what that would actually mean. And I was like 32 years old, 33 years old at the time. And I was like, Oh my God, I don't want that. So I'm in hospital and I'm having what they called an iron infusion. So it literally is this rusty orange gunk that they're feeding straight into your body to, to build the iron up because you've lost so much through the bleeding. Mm. And let me tell you, it's a beautiful natural high. It is amazing as it goes into your system. And I was in the hospital for seven days and I had this drip on me 24 hours a day. And my wife would come in and she'd bring my computer in so I could catch up with emails while I was sitting in the hospital and, and do stuff. And I think on about day two, day three, a nurse came in and she said, she said, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I own a business, so I'm just catching up on my work and my wife will take my computer away and all my emails will get sent when she logs on at home. And she said, do you know, not know what caused ulcerative colitis? And I said, no, I've got no idea. And she goes, stress. And she said, if you don't stop doing what you're doing, you are not going to get better. And I went, wow, right, I'm getting better. Shut the computer, didn't open it again for the next four days while I was in hospital, gave up alcohol and then thought, right, I'm going to get better. And the first thing that I learned from that experience was what my doctor said to me. And he said, he said, for most people, and this is kind of a little bit out there, I know, he said, but for most people, when I tell them what the worst case scenario is, the power of positive thinking actually gets them better. And he said, the fact that you started to think you were going to get better has meant that you are getting better. And we don't need to take your colon out. I'm like, oh, thank God for that. <laughs> so that was really the first thing. The second thing that I knew, but I didn't practice, was just how important what we have is, and that's our health. Mm. And I think too many times we take that for granted. We take walking down the street for granted. We take the fact that we can get out, we can ride a bike, or we cannot ride a bike. But the reality is when we don't move and we don't move often, it has an impact on our body. And I guess one of the interesting things for me is I'm a born again exerciser. And for me, nothing takes priority over my, my exercise. And exercise for me could be walking the dog. It could be running around on the netball court with my daughter, or it could be in the gym lifting weights. And this is the important thing that I learned is that it's not about the intensity of how hard you exercise. It's about moving your body because that's what I wasn't doing. Hmm. And I got sick because of it. Yep. So move it or lose it. The end result for me, Andrew, was I basically stepped out of life for nearly 10 years. 
you know, I, I had to put a manager in the gym because I couldn't work. I couldn't see clients. I had zero libido. That's why we only have one child because we mm. couldn't conceive while I was on the drugs. It had a major impact on my life. And yeah, that I want people to learn from me so that they don't have to go through that same thing that you can still be an entrepreneur. You can still be successful, but that success will be a whole lot more enjoyable when you're alive and when you're healthy. All right, right on. Well, let me summarize what I take away from the story. And the first one is, especially for all the men out there, when you get pain, go check it out at the doctor. It's just, yeah. I know it's hard. You're busy. We don't like to go. There can be times that it's embarrassing to go. Just go. Because that makes me think of what my mom said. And you always heard when I was a young kid, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Lovely. Try to get there. And I, in my case, I try to get regular blood tests and checkups, which I do, which gives me a baseline so I understand my health situation. In Thailand, we have a place called Vitalife at Bumimrat Hospital, one of the hospitals here. And they have a great program. I highly recommend it for any listeners that are either living in Thailand or are visiting. In fact, I just went out to dinner with a friend of mine that flew in from Vietnam to do his checkup. It's reasonably priced and it goes through everything. And it allows us to understand if we've got some infection or any other thing going on. So an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. The other thing that it, you, know, you, you remind me is that you know, health first, health first. We want to make money, we want to do business, we want to be successful, we want to have all of these different things. But ultimately, if you don't have your health, you're not going to be able to keep any of those things. And of course, you're not going to be able to keep any of those things anyways, but that's another subject. <laughs> so the point is, is that, and I know when I was younger, I didn't exercise that much, but I had a few good habits that I had from a young age. Number one, I never drank, you know, I stopped drinking alcohol at a very young age. So I basically, since the age of 18, I've never had a hangover. And that's good. The second thing is that 28 years ago, I replaced all sugary drinks with water. So I only drank water at meals. The third thing is that I try not to eat much sugar. You know, I do have some ice cream every now and then, but I try to keep my sugar down as low as you know possible. And then the other thing is that I try to go to bed early. I'm an early bird in the evening and also in the morning. And that makes me also realize that sleep is so critical. In fact, sleep is really the, the only main mechanism that our body has to recuperate and fight against infection and all that. And so I basically don't use an alarm clock and I let myself, I wake up when I wake up. Now it happens to be that that's very early and that's just my style. But a lot of people come to me and say they want to be more productive and they notice that I get up very early and so they want to set their alarm clock and get up very early. You know, on the one hand, yep, getting up early can add a lot of value, but don't try to gain productivity from sleep. You know, you could gain it from family time, you could gain it from other time, but do not try to gain it from sleep. And those are some of the things that, you know, you remind me of. And I think the last thing is the idea of an attitude of gratitude. And when things get tough, 
when things are hard, when things aren't working, we have to say, I'm grateful I have a left arm. I'm grateful I have, you know, five fingers. I'm grateful, you know, I have close friends and family. And let's just spend time adding up those things that we should be grateful for and then try to keep ourselves healthy. So I kind of went off the track. There's all the things that matter to me, but that's part of what you brought out in your story. Anything you would add? Oh, can I just say I love your mum's advice? That is pure gold. I love it. I really do. And I, I think the thing, only thing I would add is a phrase that I heard, which is quite simply, if you don't find time to exercise, then you will have to find time to be sick. But I also want people to understand that it's not about exercise. It's just about moving. It's okay to park your car at the other end of the car park and walk to the shops. That's okay. It's about moving. And the more you move, the more confidence you get, then you can move to exercise. But I just don't want anyone else to have to go through the learning experience, the worst investment mm. that I went through because it is absolutely controllable. You know, some investments you've had guests on where that it's not necessarily controllable for mm. them. Yep. This one is absolutely no one else other than yourself can control your own health. All right. So based on what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Let me give you two, a real general overview, move more, move often. A real basic is put in your diary an appointment once a week or twice a week or three times a week, or if you game four or five times a week, which is where you're going to work out, where you're going to exercise. And it could be Sunday afternoon going to the park with your kids. But it's putting it in your diary and then that is your time. That is your time. And similar to you, Andrew, I now, like I used to be get up at 8, 8.30 in the morning because I'd go to bed at midnight. I'd still get my eight hours. I go to bed now, half past nine, ten o'clock to be able to get up at five because I have to exercise in the morning before my day starts because if I don't, all hell could break loose if I don't start my day with some sort of movement. But all hell breaks loose during the day and I don't get to do that, I'm not a very nice person. Just ask my wife. <laughs> so, put, me, yeah, put it in your diary. Yep, I like that. And for me, basically, I'm not a person that necessarily ever really liked exercise, but I knew I needed to do it. So for the things that I don't like or I find tedious, I try to do them first thing in the morning. Yeah. And that's the reason why when I get up. And also remember, you know, for everybody out there, there's lots of great research that's been done on building habits. Atomic Habits is a great book. Also, right. The Power of Habit is another great book. I love The Power but, of Habit. That's an awesome yeah. book. Yeah, amazing. And what I learned from these two books is that you can also stack habits. So every single morning I get up, and I turn on my coffee machine and I make an espresso. And I wanted to make sure that I'm saying like a gratitude saying each morning that I've written out. And I, I would say that every morning with my espresso. So by combining a, an activity with a habit that's already existing, the habit has already been created. And then, you know, I try to say, okay, I go 
exercise before seven or I, you know, go exercise right after my coffee. So try to sneak your habits into, uh, sneak the new activities, attach them to existing habits. So, okay, last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? Have more people around the world move more and move often. Bingo, bingo. Fantastic. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we end, Justin, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. And I want to congratulate you for taking your worst investment ever and turning it into your best coaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? No, sir. This has been an absolute pleasure. And I think you're doing a great service for everybody so that we can all learn from each other. Amen. Thank you very much. And that's a wrap on another great episode to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our wealth and health. Fellow risk takers, I'll see you on the upside.